This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's going on, everybody? want to welcome you back to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. This is your man, Will, coming back for another great episode. On today's episode, we're going to have Mr. Wild Turkey Doc himself, Mike Chamberlain, coming on to help us debunk a few turkey myths that have been out there running amok and created confusion. Some do, some may not, but nonetheless, we're going to get him on here to help us figure out some of these. You know, some of them might be true but most of them are probably going to get debunked i hope and of course we're going to talk turkey hunting with mike that's just what we're going to do on the podcast y'all we just want to thank y'all too for tuning into the hunt stand podcast we greatly appreciate it you got a ton of other options out there to listen to so we just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the hunt stand podcast if you can make sure you go on over and rate review and subscribe this podcast for us it greatly helps us and we really appreciate it and y'all if you got questions topics things you want me to hear and talk about on the podcast make sure you send me an email podcast at huntstand.com but with further ado we're gonna get mike on here to talk turkeys and debunk these myths so hang tight y'all and we hope you enjoy all right everybody welcome back to another episode of the hunt stand podcast and today we have mr turkey doc himself mike chamberlain hopping on with us today mike we appreciate you hopping on the podcast today not a problem glad to join you now where are you located i'm at the university of georgia so okay. I'm, I'm right here in athens georgia okay okay well Today, one of the reasons why we're getting you on the podcast is we want to try and debunk some myths that are out there about turkey and turkey hunting, if you're down for that. Sure, sure. Well, Mike, first thing I like to do to get this podcast rolling is I like for you, the guest, to kind of give myself and the listeners a 30-foot tree stand view of who you are and just a little bit about your background. So tell us about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm a faculty member at the University of Georgia. I've been in academics for about 25 years now. Um, been studying turkeys really since I was a graduate student back at Mississippi State. I, I grew up in Virginia, uh, just a suburban kid that hunted with his dad on the weekends and went to Virginia Tech and got a degree in wildlife science there and then was lucky enough to get a gig in grad school at, at Mississippi State. So I did my master's degree and my PhD degree there, both studying turkeys, among other things. And I uh, was fortunate to leave MSU and walk into a faculty position at, at Louisiana State University, where I worked for 10 years before okay. I came here. And uh, I've, I've been studying turkeys ever, you know, ever since 1993, really. So, um, it's been a it's been a good career i've been very fortunate and um my i mean my my hobbies my hobbies are pretty simple i uh i hunt and fish and that's that's 
that's pretty much that's pretty much what I do with my spare time. Um, I, I like to be outside. Not a bad way to spend your spare time. So who who got you obsessed with turkeys, or just who got you obsessed with hunting in general? Um. Well, my my dad was he was the prototypical weekend warrior. He he um he ran his own business so he and he worked really really hard and uh, at the time you could only hunt on sunday uh, where i grew up and i mean on saturday i'm sorry so so we had one day per week that we could that we could get outside and hunt and really uh yeah so we would go hunt on on saturdays and and i i became you know a fanatical hunter and and then as i as i aged and went to grad school and and was able to, to visit different places and meet people and get more opportunities to, you know, to do different things mm-hmm. outside of my back 40. I really became obsessed with it. And fast forward now, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now and, and I've been hunting my, since I was a little kid and uh, I can't imagine a, a life where I, you know, I didn't spend my fall in, in a deer stand or my spring chasing toms i mean i just i can't even imagine you and me both i'm kind of i'm right there with you i heck i don't even know what i'd be doing doing for work if i wasn't obsessed with it yeah yeah let's dive into turkeys and turkey hunting so there's a lot of myths that i have seen read about heard about and I'm going to just kind of start throwing these at you a little bit, uh, almost rapid fire, if you will. Now, some of these, some of these, you know, you might be able to just debunk it a couple of words and a couple of them. You might just, Hey, we'll go down some rabbit holes. That's okay. That's what podcasting is for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So first one I got for you, um, turkeys roost in the same tree every night is one I've heard. Is that true? Uh, no. Yeah. You, you see that, there are some toms that will roost pretty much in the same spot, but most do not. Um, what we see is most toms will, they may roost in this place for a couple of nights and then they move to a different part of the range. They roost there, then they move somewhere else. Um, and what we do see, which is pretty interesting, is we see one tom vacate his roost Mm-hmm. And that night, a different tom will use that same roost. So, yeah, so you actually have, you know, multiple birds that will roost at the same location, but not at the same time. Um, if you look across all the individual birds we've marked, it's more likely than not that they will not return to the same spot each night. Although it does occur, it's more likely that it does not occur. Ah, okay, okay. So, I guess the next one I have for you is still kind of pertaining to the roost in general. Uh, overcalling causes a turkey to stay roosted. That I don't know. I Here's what I think based on what I know about turkeys. Um, if you, if you kind of look at it from their perspective, roost sites are safety. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they, they sleep in a tree for a reason because things eat them on the ground. Mm -hmm. So when they're in a tree, they're presumably at a spot where they feel comfortable. And if you kind of think about it, 
if it's time to fly down and they don't feel comfortable, the best bet is to stay in the tree and let whatever is occurring leave. Okay. Um, that's what I think is going on. I, I've, I've hunted birds that stayed in the tree and, and ultimately, you know, flew down away from me, or I'll never forget this one bird. I, I ended up having to go to work and at nine fifteen, he was still in the tree. Um, <laughs> And I just, I remember driving to work thinking, you know what, damn, I, I know what happened there. He, I got too close to him and he didn't feel like bailing off the opposite direction made sense given it was really thick in that direction. And he just waited me out. And, um, I, I think that's what happened that day. So I, I think there may be some validity to it that, you know, they, they get spooked and they think the best reaction is just to stay put and it usually works out for them. Okay. Okay. So with you and your background then, you know, how close is too close when hunting the roost? I know there's a, I think there's a couple of states out there that actually have laws and regulations in place that you can't hunt within um, X amount of feet or yardage from that roosting tree, but how close is too close to hunt in your opinion? And I think it just depends on the bird and the situation. You know, most of the time we find, I mean, and you, you see this in your own hunting activities, you know, these birds roost in areas where they can get to the roost and get out of the roost easily. Yeah. So, you know, usually there's some visibility there. They can see, uh, but there's also enough cover around them to where they feel comfortable, you know, gobbling and strutting and doing their thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it just depends on the situation. I, you know, I've personally gone into birds that I, I felt like I was, I was plenty far away and ended up, you know, bumping the bird because of the terrain or, you know, or whatever. And I've also ended up way too close to birds, but didn't mean to just ended up too close because I, you know, they were gobbling away from me and turned around on the limb and I realized I was much closer than I thought and and those turned out okay you know in some situations so I think it just ultimately depends on on the bird and the roost and and also how quietly you can get in there you know I mean turkeys have an acute sense of hearing and they have an incredible sense of direction because of the way that their ears function so they hear a sound that they don't think is is right you know, they can hear that sound from quite a distance. So yeah. I think, I think a lot of factors play into answering that question. Okay. I gotcha. So let's, let's, uh, let's put your hunting cap on for a second. What's, how do you like to approach, um, hunting birds on the roost in the morning? I, I tend to be the, the guy that, um, if I know something about the property that I'm okay. hunting, I tend to try to end up putting myself in a position where I'm I'm somewhere they want to be or I'm in a direction that I think the bird is logically going to head when he flies down. And so I don't I don't try to get right up under him, you know. I I try to I try to stay far enough away to where I can make a subtle call, he can hear me and but he's got to fly down and travel a little bit to get to me. And okay. I think I think I've done that because you know I have been bitten by the I got too close bug, yeah. um, 
you know, so I, that's the way I, I tend to hunt. I, I'm, I've never been one of these guys that tries, you know, let me get as close as I possibly can so that when he flies down and his feet touch the ground, I can, I'll be able to shoot. I've had that happen a few times and, but I really didn't mean to, um, I tend to be someone that stays a little farther away and, and, you know, puts myself in a position where I think they already want to be going in that direction anyway, Mm -hmm. which, you know, sometimes takes some scouting to do, but that's kind of the way I approach it. Okay. So this next question I have, um, I'm conflicted about this one myself because I've had this happen to me. Um, I hunt in a small uh, piece of private property in Texas. It's where I'm from, where I live. And uh, we had some neighbors come in and they put in a fence, high fence back behind us. We used to be all low fence until then and kind of took away the turkeys because there was a, a creek that runs through this property and they roost on that creek during the spring. Well, right now they're all over the game cameras eating food and everything. Uh, but this one says turkeys won't cross fences. And the reason I lead to believe this one <laughs> from a personal vendetta is I've called these birds up to this fence a hundred different times. I can get them to gobble their heads off for 15, 20, 30 minutes and they will not roost over this dadgum fence. Yeah. 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 I've actually seen, I've seen this play out in a number of circumstances. I've, I've hunted on properties that either were high fenced or had a neighbor that were, you know, that was fenced. Mm -hmm. And I've hunted birds a lot in situations where it was low fenced, you know, like just barbed wire type fence. Yeah. And I, I have seen, fences of in a variety of ways affect how tom moves whether it's he just doesn't want to cross it whether he doesn't seem like he wants to fly over it they can easily obviously i mean they can easily jump over a fence or fly over a fence but oh yeah but they don't in a lot of situations and i actually had a i had a tom one time (laughs) in in kansas and in it was literally a single strand of barbed wire and he could have stepped over it like, and he would not do that. He, he would walk into it and it would hit him about, but just below his beard <laughs> and he would bounce like he would, it, you, I could see him, he would touch it and he would turn around and walk off and then he would come back and he would walk down it and he would bump into it again and he would walk off to the point where I, I was literally saying almost out loud, just step over it, buddy. I mean, you can literally just step over that. <laughs> and he, and he wouldn't, and I never killed that bird. He, he ended up losing interest and walked off. And, and I, and the irony is I didn't even know the fence was there I, from where I was. He had, I ended up getting close to this bird, not knowing it was there until he gobbled. And so I, I was kind of in a rush to set up and because of the terrain, I couldn't see the fence. I couldn't see all of the fence. And when he started bumping into it, I was like, what is he bumping into? And, and when he walked off, I took my binoculars from my chest and I was like, that is a piece of barbed wire. <laughs> and, and he kept bumping into it, bumping into it and finally left. And when I got up and walked over, it was like 65, 70 yards from me. I finally, I saw it was, it was a single strand piece of barbed wire and he just would not walk over. So Man. they, they do some strange things. Yeah, they do. I, I tell you, turkeys, 
they make me pull my hair out sometimes. I mean, in that that same situation I was telling you about, you know, there there is a hole probably about five yards down from where he was that these pigs we've got a really bad pig problem down at our place that they had actually rooted underneath the fence to get onto our side it was just this giant hole underneath and he'd go over there that bird would go over there and just look at it and he'd start trying to duck underneath it and the same thing that fence would just barely touch his head and he he just didn't know how to get under or over for that matter it was pretty interesting pretty dang interesting what these birds do so these next couple of questions I guess can kind of pertain to more of um, spooking birds if you will so the next one was you can never call back a spooked bird that's false um, I can attest to that in per- you know personally because I've done it yeah um, now I haven't done <laughs> I haven't done it a lot um, but I have done that and I know I know other friends and you know colleagues that have done that as well. Um, what we've seen with our the work we've done with where we GPS mark toms and we we also have hunters carrying GPS so we can look at how they're interacting with each other. Um, there's no average response from a tom to getting bumped by a hunter. Some of them seem to move away quickly and then settle back down some of them seem to head to the hills and they you know they move a mile and then they settle down um some just kind of skirt the pressure Mm -hmm. and go back you know to their daily routine pretty quickly and everything in between so what we've in the take home that i tell people is you know there's no such thing as an average tom and I think that is true when it comes to looking at how they are, you know, respond to, to pressure and, and, and us bumping them because, you know, sometimes they know exactly what's, what's happening. And sometimes they don't, they just know that something, you know, threw my flag here, but I'm not exactly sure what it was, you know, that that's one scenario versus say, you know, gunshot going off or, a hunter you know moving and them seeing you clearly that you know that that's danger so i I really think it depends on the bird and it depends on the circumstances that that spooked the bird to begin with because i the bird i ended up calling back and killing i i don't think he knew exactly what was going on i think he just for whatever reason he he didn't like the situation when he crested that hill and you know i thought it was ball game and you know and 30 minutes later it wasn't um when clearly he he putted at i mean he putted and he took off and and i you know there's no way i'll kill this bird and i and i did i I ended up he started gobbling again not long after and and um and you know like i said i I went after him and and killed him um but that certainly hasn't that's the only time that's happened to me actually okay okay so the next one then is there's a myth going around that says that when a group of gobblers come in, one gets shot, that that group of birds will not regroup for weeks. That's false. Um, what what we see is those those groups of toms are are in social groups. So you know those birds know each other. They have an established 
pecking order or dominance hierarchy, if you will. There's mm-hmm. a dominant bird, you know, and there's a second and a third or whatever. And they've spent a lot of time around each other. They, they, they know each other, you know, could they, you know, could you shooting one of those birds kind of disrupt that? Sure. It does. Um, but just the act of removing one Tom from that group doesn't usually result in them disbanding that group at all. In fact, you'll often see they just continue about their business and, you know, missing one. Um, what we end up seeing happen is, which can kind of be coincidental is as the breeding season progresses and you start getting later into the breeding season, you'll see toms that will split off from these groups and go do their own thing and then come back together. And, and I've, I've actually posted this on social media, these kind of these, these animations, which are really cool where you've got four or five birds that are together and two of them stay together all the time. One day there's three of them. Mm-hmm. One day there's five of them. The next day it's back to two. Then there's four because there's individual birds in that group that are leaving and going off somewhere else in their range and then returning. Um, I think that may be what people think is, you know, is going on when they, when they harvest a bird and then they don't see them anymore. They only see one or, you know, they think the group is dissolved. It's, it's not really that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, talking about breeding season there kind of leads me into this next question. And this is one that I've heard a lot from people is that a warmer winter moves up the breeding schedule. That's false. Um, what happens is, so the breeding is primarily driven by photo period. So increasing day length. Mm-hmm. What we see from a cold to a warm winter is literally a difference of a couple of days. Like um, we may see, I, I, here's a good example. A few years ago, we had an incredibly cold, severe winter in the deep south. And we saw that the breeding season, as we infer it based on when they start nesting, was about a week, week and a half, you know, late. Um, and it, we think, um, I mean, the only logical explanation was, you know, you, you literally had this un- incredibly cold period right in the middle of the time when they were breeding, and it kind of set everybody back, you know. They went from everything is good to now I've got to hunker down and conserve energy and, and find resources that I did, you know, in a way I didn't think I was going to have to do. So that kind of slowed the clock down, if you will. But I mean, we're literally in most years, we see amazing consistency in when nesting occurs. And that what that tells you is that breeding is very consistent from one year to the next. I mean, we're literally talking about a couple of days here and there each year. All right, Joe, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick to thank WorkSharp Tools, the knife sharpening company. If you've got some knives in your drawer that literally just aren't cutting it, make sure y'all head on over to WorkSharpTools.com and check out all the great knife sharpening products they have. We've been utilizing them heavily over the past years in just everything we do when we're out in the woods. I keep one right next to the the cleaning station whenever I'm cleaning up a deer, turkey, whatever it may be because it's inevitable that I'll have a knife that gets a little bit dull, just isn't doing the job. So I can sharpen it real quick. 
and get back to what I'm doing. So if you can, head on over to WorkSharpTools.com, check out everything they have to offer, and we're going to get right back to the podcast. This one's more a question for you rather than a myth because I got a couple more, but I kind of wanted to find out from you uh, just covering, going back to talking about how a turkey goes out of its range and comes back. What have you seen or how, how far have you seen a turkey disperse or move during, let's let's say, the spring season, just to, to keep it kind of constrained to that? Like how much have you seen a, a bird move during the spring? I mean, most of the time we, you know, if, if we're looking at GPS data, you know, a couple miles, if we're looking at, you know, banding data, we've, we've had some pretty, pretty, you know, interesting, you know, a, a Tom gets banded here and the next year he shot 10 miles down the road somewhere, but it's usually not that far. I mean, from the time we, we capture them as Jake's, until they're harvested as an adult it's usually within a handful of miles sometimes it can be farther but it's usually not that far it's not like they're they're dispersing like a coyote does you know 50 miles or 75 miles i mean they're not they're not moving that far wow now i mean have you seen pressure affect that a lot like just hunting pressure do you see birds will move miles away because they get spooked by a hunter or are they pretty uh pretty patternable and they they're habitual to where they come back and get back to what they were doing no we, we've seen some that literally took off uh we've we had a couple of situations where this was a number of years ago where we actually hunted birds intentionally we we put GPS units on them and then we went and hunted that bird. We knew where they were obviously. Mm-hmm. And and we put hunters on them so that we could see how they'd respond to pressure. And I, I can remember a few of these that stick out. We had, we had one bird that, that got bumped on a youth hunt. Um, and he traveled about a half mile to the North and settled back down all week and then the following weekend when the season the general season opened he got bumped again and that time he went well over a mile that day and went to an area that based on the data we had he had not been to before i'm sure he had we just didn't have the data to show it mm-hmm. and he and he stayed there for weeks and he, he ended up getting killed up there and he never went back to where he had been and we have a number of situations like that where a you know, a bird gets bumped by a person and they go a mile or more and go to some place that they had not been, you know, in the days and weeks prior to that happening. And I suspect some of that is a learned behavior. They, you know, these are birds that have experienced this before. Um, they know, okay, pressure's on, I'm going to change how I behave. We, we see this a lot on public lands, in fact, where yeah. we've got, we have birds that leave the public land and go hang out on, you know, on nearby private lands as soon as the season opens. That those are birds that have experienced that before. So then, in regard to public land, do you see the public pressure really affecting how much they gobble? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we've we've published a number of papers showing clearly that increased hunting pressure causes reductions in gobbling activity, and that's not. 
I mean, that's not a shocking result, yeah. you know, obviously, but, um, and that's been shown in studies long before I came along. Um, as the pressure ramps up, gobbling starts to decline. And, you know, as the season progresses on these heavily hunted public lands, which is where I do a lot of my work, you see gobbling really, really decline. Not just because birds are getting bumped or spooked, but you know you're you're killing some birds so some of your vocal birds are being shot but you're also seeing situations where the birds that are still there are not gobbling as much if at all um with with pressure you know as pressure gets higher and higher so that the bird definitely responds to pressure i mean they they sense the pressure and they change their behavior yeah it's i've seen that a lot heck i've even seen that on private property you know just even just one uh one encounter and that bird is done you know yeah yeah so the next one the next couple of these i have for you um were kind of interesting that i saw that people were asking or uh that thought were kind of funny but i guess the first one is uh turkeys avoid heavy cover uh most of the year they do most of the year mm-hmm. you know turkeys are i mean outside of hens when they're nesting you know during that period they're trying to hide for the rest of the year turkeys make a living by being able to see i mean they they have to be able to see that's their primary means of of escaping danger is to see it coming so you tend to see turkeys using areas where they can see and that's open areas you know Mm -hmm. or or forests that are open where they can see through the, the forest vegetation so yeah, you definitely do see birds avoid super dense, thick areas. Okay. Okay. So then, um, this kind of leads me on my next one that, uh, <laughs> I think you'll probably get a kick out of these, uh, turkeys will not go uphill and you can't call a turkey downhill. What do you think about those? <laughs> Both are false. <laughs> um, but I know where those come from. Um, I, I know where those come from. I've I've heard people say it. I've even thought it myself. Really? At time, I, yeah. I I've had. I'll never forget. I had a bird in Mississippi one time. Okay. And he would not. He he roosted up on on top of this ridge, and he would not come down the hill in either direction. He he would walk down the ridge, and and he was impossible to get to because you could not get to the top of the ridge without him seeing you from where he was roosted. And this bird would roost in this tree, the same tree, every three to five nights. And the rest of the time he was on private land. So I would just catch him periodically. And it, I know it was the same bird, it had to be, because he, he did the same thing every day. And I just could not figure out a way to get to this bird. And he would not walk down those hills. He would he just would not i could not figure out a way to get him to come down the hills and that bird probably died of old age because i sure didn't kill him um (laughs) but i've never had any issue getting them to come uphill um and i since then i've had i've killed turkeys that went uphill downhill across hill i had a bird in virginia fly i mean he probably flew five or six hundred yards to get to me um across the side of a mountain one time so i mean they'll they'll do all sorts of crazy things it's 
it's hard to predict what a bird's going to do. And sometimes I wonder whether they even know exactly what they're about to do. It, I mean, you, that's part of the turkey hunting. You're trying to appeal to their, you know, you're trying to excite them. You're trying to, to get their, you know, get them going. And yeah. sometimes that causes them to do some things that don't make sense to us, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I, yeah. Sometimes I don't understand why a turkey does what they do. They are very, very interesting creatures to say the least. Uh, this one I've seen uh, before, which I could actually debunk this myself, but I want to ask you uh, why people might think this, but turkeys only gobble in the spring. Yeah, no, they don't. They gobble year-round. Um, they just gobble more in the spring. Now, that's more from a breeding perspective, but when you look at the fall time, it's more, Why? I mean, why do they gobble in the fall? We think that that's more of a dominance um issue where you've got birds that are that are still you know they're trying to sort out their dominance hierarchies in there uh, you know they'll gobble to maintain those hierarchies and we also know that you know toms will become receptive a lot faster than hens do so that that's why you'll often see toms that are gobbling in february for instance and yet breeding season is more than a month away mm-hmm. um, they become receptive well before hens do it, it on an order of about 45 days or more so you you do see gobbling in you know in times that are not associated with breeding and we think we think some of it is just dominance driven honestly i think it's sometimes it's just they just do it um i've heard birds gobble in the you know gobble in the fall in fact i i I had a bird in Virginia one time that came to me while I was deer hunting and he was gobbling his head off and he was by himself. Really? Yep. He was, I mean, he was gobbling like any spring morning and he was by himself. He walked right by me. And when he finally saw my blaze orange, he, you know, he spooked and, but that bird was by himself and was gobbling as if he was coming to a, to a call. And I never heard a call. He was just gobbling. So, you know, I think sometimes we try to we try to predict what what this bird's going to do, and and it's just unpredictable sometimes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Now, kind of going back to that blaze orange, um, I've always kind of heard people go back and forth on this: is uh, are turkeys colorblind, or do they see color? They they just see colors differently than than we do. They have they did they have different arrangements of rods and cones in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So they, they see colors differently than we do, and, and we don't really completely understand how they exactly how they see colors, but um, they, they just see their world differently. And the, the, way their, the way their eyes work, they are predisposed to being able to see motion. And, and that's why they're so good at picking you out when you flinch, you know, or you move your head or it's not so much the color it's it's the motion because of the way their eyes function um yeah 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 i'd say definitely can't get away with as much movement as i do with deer when it comes to turkey hunting oh no 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 definitely so the next two i have kind of pertain they pertain to water um one is turkeys don't like rain and they will not cross water um i don't know if it's they don't like rain i mean i don't like standing in the rain either um 
you know, what you'll see, see turkeys do is they will, when it rains, they typically will go find areas where they can, they can stand in the open and, and dry off quickly. You know, when the rain stops, you'll often see birds that while it's raining, they'll go to open areas because I, we think it's because, you know, everything's moving and in the woods, if you will, there, there's water dripping everywhere. It's, it's loud. It's, you know, their senses are dulled. They can't see as well. They can't hear as well. So they get out in the open to protect themselves. As far as them not crossing water, there's some truth to that. I mean, there are situations I've been in where, you know, I've had birds that will refuse to cross a piece of water. And I've also been in situations where I had birds that flew across a body of water. Um, I killed a Merriam's in, in uh, Nebraska one year that li- that literally flew the, the Niobrara River to to us. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had seen that bird do that the, the morning before. Uh, that's why we that's why we ended up there at what, 10:30 a.m. because the day before he had done the same thing. He had a routine. And we just happened to be part of it that next day. And, and he came right to us, right across the river, as if he, he had no cares in the world because he had done that before. Uh, so I think it just depends. Again, I, I hate to keep saying it just depends on the bird, but I, I really do think there's so much individual variation that it really does just depend on the bird and yeah. the situation. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, like, th- there's some birds out there, kind of like the one you are just talking about, that, will fly over a dadgum river but then there's others that they can't walk over a single strand of barbed wire yeah and yeah the these turkeys are temperamental they're very moody i guess it's a good way to put it <laughs> yeah in some ways yeah so count one of the last last questions i have for you is you know obviously you've you've hunted turkey in the fall you've hunted them in the spring what time of year do you prefer the most to hunt turkey, which I think I know the answer to this, and why? Definitely in the spring. Yeah, I, yeah, I grew up I grew up fall turkey hunting, but I I have not done that in years and um not that I wouldn't again. I just, you know, it's not nearly as engaging as as spring hunting is and you know, I I have so many competing interests on on my time in the fall, I love to deer hunt. I love to waterfowl hunt. And, you know, I love to do other things in the fall and, and spring is my, you know, that's my time to go chase turkeys. Um, and I, I enjoy being in the woods in the, in the spring. It's completely different. Mm. So that, it, you know, the fact that the birds are gobbling and they're displaying and they're, they're so engaging to me, it's, it's hands down spring hunting. Now, have you hunted all over the United States, or have you completed any Grand Slams, Super Slams, anything at all? I've done single season slams, yeah. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoy traveling. I've I've hunted turkeys all. I've hunted a lot of stuff all over the place, and I've been fortunate to be able to do that. And I look forward to that every spring. I look forward to being able to to take a trip or, or more than one trip. If, if my, you know, luck is on my side and, and go visit some other place where turkeys are, I, I really enjoy that because I enjoy seeing different ones, different places where turkeys are living, but two, you know, you meet, you meet cool people as you travel around and you get different perspectives when you're around different 
different people and and wait you know people that hunt differently than i do and i think in the end it makes you it makes you a much better turkey hunter if you're able to travel around and put yourself in situations where you're getting your tail kicked you know not just in your back 40 but you're you know you're you're experiencing birds in, in different environments oh 100 percent. i mean i feel too many people i think are afraid to fail or get their teeth kicked in kind of like you're saying and that's where you learn the most and i can say that from experience but i feel like that's where a lot of people learn the most is from those failures oh there's no question there's no question if you're willing to embrace failure and just step back and go okay why did this you know what happened here or what do i think happened yeah that, that makes that makes you a better turkey owner 100 percent. what would you say is the best part about what you do for a career oh i would say gosh that's a tough question that i would say probably um two things one would be i i draw immense satisfaction out of seeing people care about my work whether it's somebody sending me a message on social media and saying hey i i appreciate what you do or i learned a lot from that or i experienced that thank you for you know for pointing it out that that's really that's something i enjoy the other thing would just be my students uh training my graduate students and seeing them become professionals that's that's very rewarding to me because that those are the people that are going to be running our agencies and responsible for our resources when i'm long gone and I carry a lot of pride in, in being able to work with those people. Passing the torch on, making sure that we keep getting to do what we get to do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, that, at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. So I guess another question I have for you is, uh, do you get, like, you, you've got a pretty large following on social media. You've got 40,000 followers. So do you get messages during the spring, a lot of messages from people asking you what to do in certain situations like as they're out in the woods do you ever get messages like that oh yeah 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 i get a lot of messages like that and i've, I've had people that sent me maps you know and were like hey <laughs> what, what, what would you do here and and i try to you know i try to respond to every message i get i, I honestly I, it's impossible really i mean um, but I try to, to respond to as many people as I can because I know they're they're contacting me because they value my opinion and I appreciate that and I don't want to I don't want to overlook that but but sometimes I just can't I can't um, and but yeah I get I get a lot of those I get a lot of I get a lot of hunters that are new hunters to turkey you know to the turkey hunting ranks and they they haven't killed a bird and they're trying to figure out, you know, what they're doing wrong. And, and I'm always, you know, more than happy to help people like that because I remember being there. I remember, you know, getting my tail kicked every single time and being like, what, what is it going to take for me to get over the hump here? And, and, um, and I finally did. And that's, you know, what, what hooked me to the sport. And so I know where they've been. And so I try, I try to help when I can. Yeah. 
that's all you can do and that's that's pretty awesome that you do that because i know there's there are some folks out there that just they don't even respond to dms at all but you know the fact that you take the time to do that 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 speaks volumes so i know like you said a lot of people respect that yeah and i you know i wish i could do it i wish i could do it more i i, I went on facebook yesterday actually and um you know facebook's kind of interesting because the way it shows your messages it can vary from your desktop to your to your phone and yep um and i saw on my phone i literally had like i have hundreds of messages that i haven't responded to partially because i didn't i, I didn't see them i didn't even know they were there and i felt really bad i was like and, and i actually went and, and responded to three or four or five because you know, I just felt bad about it. And, but there's just no, I mean, there's just not enough time in the day to, to respond. And that's a good thing because that means people are interested and they, you know, they, they want the information and that's great. It's just, uh, I wish I had more time to, to put towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, tell us real quick, tell all the listeners, you know, if they do want to message you or they just want to follow you on social media, um, where can they find you on Instagram, Facebook, or, you know, do you have a YouTube channel or anything? Yeah. So you can find me on, on Instagram and Twitter at wild Turkey doc. That's wild Turkey D O C. It's just all one word. Um, and I, I post on, you know, Instagram and Twitter with that same handle. My Facebook page is just my name. If you just type in Michael Chamberlain, you'll, you'll find me. Um, and then I, I don't have a YouTube channel yet. I'm actually I'm actually in the process of designing one now, um, so that I can post videos and kind of a little more engaging content than I'm able to do on social media. Um, the way I've been using it, it's just taken me a little bit of time to do that, but that's in the works right now. Gotcha. Well, I love it, man. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to knock this podcast out with us. You know talk to the hunt stand listeners talk with me talk turkey hunting and debunk some of the myths that are out there not a problem it's good talking to you likewise man i know we're gonna have to get you back on here again of course talk turkey and i know you're a big deer hunter too so we'll definitely get you on here again mike so thanks again for hopping on yep yeah, thank you and there you have it everybody wild turkey doc debunking some of these crazy and ridiculous myths about turkey hunting that have gotten into my email. I've seen them on the internet and he was able to debunk and verify a couple of these. And so we just want to thank y'all again for tuning in to another episode of the Hunt Stand podcast and we will see you on the next one.